0: You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I had a hard time teaching about the Cold War, because what is communism? I don't even know. It's like the most abstract... Like, we're just getting out of World War II, and you get to talk about things like Blitzkrieg, you know? Like, that's like the rapid military you know, dominance of, of Adolf Hitler hit and attack and speed warfare and that kind of thing, or you know, the Holocaust, which is this grievous, like audacious thing that happened, you know, in, in world history that that is concrete and easy to, to get your hands around. But what is the Marshall Plan? Does anybody know what that is? Like you're sitting up there in front of some seventh graders just like So uh, Truman decided to just, like, pump lots of money into the uh, uh, Western European economy to create soft power and influence in the Western bloc. It's like, next, like, they're out, you know what I mean? Uh, Y'all are falling asleep. The domino theory, Do you guys know what that is? It's good imagery there. If one country falls to communism, then the next one might fall to communism and so forth. I mean, they might get it in terms of understanding. They don't care, though, Julie. They could not care less about the domino theory as excited as as you would be about it, you know. Uh, Containment policy. uh, Protecting the spread of communism. We're already out, right? And so, uh, as any good, you know, social studies teacher does, you got to look for pictures, you got to look for stories. You have to drag it out of the abstract and get it into the concrete. And so, the way that you talk about a war of influence is you talk about its impact. So the picture you want on the screen is the Berlin Wall. That's what you want. 96 miles across Germany, splitting east and west. Like, imagine if uh, you know, tomorrow president got out there and just built a big wall on Woodruff Road. Who, who lives in Simpsonville? Who's south of Woodruff Road, right? They're on the other side. You don't get to talk to them anymore. Families, neighborhoods, nations, cut in half, 96 miles. 13 feet high. You can't talk to them, right? And so so in the beginning, when the theoretical iron curtain dropped, all the best and the brightest people that were in the communist nations, even though they had free medical care and free education, ran to the other side because they preferred the better jobs. Ran to the other side. 20% of the best and the brightest and the youngest moved to the other side. We got to stop it. We got to stop this. We got to build the wall. They built the wall. 96 miles long. And uh, over the next... Uh, whatever it is, 30 years of its existence from 1960 to 1980, or 90, uh, if I got that right, 60, 70, 80, 90. whatever, 30 years, 100,000 people attempt to escape, migrate, jumping over the thing, going in cars. One guy had a hot air balloon. The coolest dude ever that tried to break out of Eastern Europe had a tank. Isn't that awesome? Man, I hope if I tried to get out of Eastern Europe, I would have a tank and try to bulldoze through it. 200 people were killed through the process, they had to build a 100-foot sand trap called the death, uh, the death strip where you would have these uh, people that were on guard up top and sniping you off and these dogs. Right? So it's, it's hard to measure and describe what influence is, but it's, it's not hard to explain impact. And, and so the lesson of all this, like it's a very valuable lesson that's still relevant in 2022, not just 1960. Is that the Cold War teaches us really important truth that the kingdoms don't actually exist in walls. Like you can you could build a wall 50 feet high, but that's not going to change that young doctor or lawyer's desire to go into freedom and towards getting their family a job. Like you can build a wall, but you can't build a kingdom with a wall. The Queen passed away. Any Queen fans ruled for 70 years. Like, as long as my mom, dear Marcia, who is here and now maybe somewhere else, uh, is alive. She was reigning over England. She's just a figurehead. I mean, what kind of executive power did the king or the queen have over these last seven years anyways? And and then, of course, probably the greatest lesson of history towards our country was that um, in 1972, when the fall of Saigon and North Vietnam fell to communism, for all of the bombs and strength and power and ammunition that we had, We couldn't change the hearts and minds of those Vietnamese people because ultimately what we discovered is that those people were not fighting for communism, they were fighting for nationalism. They just used communism as the vehicle to keep being Asian, right? And so we became like, right? Like we became the Britain to our America. Like we won the war against Britain the same way as Vietnam won the war or defended the war against us. All of that to say, what Jesus has always been saying is that kingdoms don't live in walls, Or crowns or bombs, they live in hearts and minds. Kingdoms live in hearts and minds. This is the way Jesus says it in Luke 17. Once, on being asked by a Pharisee when the kingdom of God would come, would it come in the 2020 election or the 2024 or maybe the 2028? Jesus says, nah, you're looking at the wrong place. That's not where kingdoms live. The coming of the kingdom of God, it's not something that can be observed. It's not that concrete, nor will people say, you know, here it is or there it is when it shows up. You know where the kingdom of God lives? It lives in your midst, lives in the stowaway places of your heart. And in your mind, it lives in places like your calendar and your wallet. And so if you're getting a grip for the book of Acts, we're moving through the book of Acts one chapter at a time. Timothy did a fantastic job. If you didn't hear it, listen back. Um, especially the testimony I loved at the very, very end about what Acts would look like in a 2022 church. But the, the frame of the study is built around Jesus' last words to his disciples. You know what those were? Acts 1.8, wait for the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power from him. You will be my witnesses, first, in a place called Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 8. Second, in a place called Judea and Samaria, And then, lastly, to the ends of the earth. And there's a little target up there, if we have it, that goes along with that. But all of the chapters are built around this frame. And so inside, if you can picture the first eight chapters, when the gospel is making its way through, but not to stay there, to start there in Jerusalem, what you have is a contrast of two temples. The way I explained it in the last message is that Acts chapter 1 through 8 is a tale of two temples between a Brick and mortar temple and a people temple. Between a temple that has beggars and lame people sitting outside of it for years and years, and then a temple that actually has the authority and power to say, "Get up and off your mat and walk." This is the tale of two temples. But note this: what you're seeing, the way Timothy preached it last week, is that the tale of two temples quickly becomes the clash of two temples. Right? Here's the clash of two temples. So you got to ask yourself this question because we're going to read a pa- this passage in Acts chapter six, and essentially, it's the first time. You ever see the word church, Ecclesia, in the whole New Testament here? Well, in the book of Acts, rather. And this word church, right? There's, there's just basically three themes that you're going to see. First and foremost, why would a group of people, a church that represents to its core, even at the death of some of its members, generosity for the poor and generosity towards one another, why would they face so much, so much persecution, right? In this clash between two temples, in this temple warfare, Secondly, there's, there's somebody that is, uh, there's lots of people, rather, in the, in, the, in the passage that Tom read, of people being healed and, 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 and demons being cast out of people. Like, like what kind, what kind of a church that casts out demons and evil out of people, right, would face so much persecution? And ultimately, what kind of a church that would just preach life? Like, if there's one word that's ascribed to the message that Jesus says to continue to teach, even in the midst of persecution, why would a church that preaches life face so much persecution? And here's the reason why. Because the church, the church, our church, your church, this church, the body of Christ is not a religion, it's a kingdom. Kingdoms don't have a problem with religions. They don't care where you go on Sunday. They don't care what passages are read at your weddings. They don't care. Kingdoms don't care about religions. You know what kingdoms get threatened by? Kingdoms. Kingdoms are threatened by kingdoms. And so um, here's how you get a, a kingdom threatened. Like Tell a kingdom that their money's corrupted and see what a kingdom does. Like, where you go on Sunday, that's one thing, right? Tell a kingdom that their leader is corrupt, and by the way, all their leaders are corrupt, and they kill Jesus and see what happens. Tell a kingdom, tell a kingdom and threaten a kingdom by saying, right, that they killed Jesus, but God raised him. And that's exactly why you see such the classes, not because Jesus wasn't killed because he was a nice guy, he was killed because he was a king. And kings don't like other kings, particularly ones that come along and indict them. And so here's the, the truth to trust, really, that is, like in, in Acts, we're, we're always reading for the always, sometimes, and never, right? And here's the always of this passage in Acts chapter 6. The always is the Cold War and temple warfare teach the same lesson, and that is that the kingdom of God lives inside of you. That when you got saved and you became a Christian, a kingdom began living inside of you. The kingdom does not live In the Vatican, the kingdom does not live even in this building. The kingdom doesn't live in the book that you picked up at Barnes & Noble about Christian faith, right? The kingdom lives in your heart and in your mind. It lives there or it lives nowhere. So here's where the kingdom lives. On my phone, i got a green app, right? And it's called Regions Bank. And that little doobie will come up out of my wallet and it'll tell you everything you need to know about where my kingdom is. No matter what I'm saying here on Sunday morning... My app is telling you what I value. That's where the kingdom lives, right? I've got a social app. There's a little magnifying glass you click over. That's called the Explore page. You know what that thing's based on? Algorithms. It's got acute measurements of everything you think and want and believe. And guess what? The kingdom of heaven lives not in castles and bombs, but in your eyes and your ears. Who are you listening to? Who are you watching? Who has your attention? That's where the kingdom lives, I've got these little $15 Target keds on this morning. And I've got a calendar app in my phone. And it's telling me where I'm going and what I'm doing. And it's recording the things that I do. And it doesn't matter where I vote because I vote with my feet. And what I do outside of the four-year election cycle, that's where the kingdom lives. What am I doing with my feet? What am I doing with my choices? That's where the kingdom lives. And so here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus, like, what's the fill in the blank? Have you been to Sunday school? right? Christianity is not a religion. It's a what? What is it? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. True or false? It is a relationship, but let me just say this. It's a certain kind of relationship. Lots of people had a relationship with Jesus. Not all of them knew him. It's a reigning relationship. There's only one way to treat a king. You yield to him, right? He's our king. That's not my money. I'm a steward of it, but that's not my money. This is not my time. This is not my church. This is his church. Jesus is king, and here's the best part about it. He's a better king than me. If I am king over my wallet, the Bible says, and my track record will show you, that I will turn all my money into worms and rot. All of my money will turn into stuff that's going to go to Goodwill tomorrow. You know what happens when I'm in charge of my wallet? I'll show you. It turns into worms. You know what happens to me in, in terms of my eyes and ears? You know who I love to follow? Wolves. I love to follow people that make me feel great about myself and don't challenge anything that I do or any of my beliefs because I love to fo- follow hired hands and helpers, people that try to guide me outside of the gate. He's a better king than that. He, he leads me as, as a shepherd. You know what happens to all of my time? I waste it. I don't live the eternal life or the abundant life when I'm king, but if he is king, he turns our money into treasure. Endless, right? Eternal treasure. He leads me as a shepherd who knows my name and does not lead me into, into bad things or towards idols, as, as Deuteronomy said, but towards, towards rest, green pastures. He leads me eternal and abundant life that the, that the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but he has come to give me life and life abundant. Is that the one that you follow? Acts 5, this is how the passage goes. Now a man named Ananias and Sapphira together with his wife. Uh, named Ananias, excuse me, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Anybody here just get uncomfortable just hearing that verse? We're going for it. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Watch this. This passage is not about money. This passage is not about money. There's a secondary flavor of the passage. It involves money. But the essence of the passage is it's about lying. That's what this is about. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Christianity is not about living in a commune, right? We have private property. How do you sell homes that you don't own? He even says later on that you, you owned the home. You could do whatever you want with it. That's what he says. And the reason why you're on the chopping block right now is not because you sold or didn't sell. It's because what? You lied. You lied about what you gave, right? So here it is. Did it it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was not the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. Not the main point. What he has just said is that confession to Jesus is confession to the church, like, in other words, the statement, hey, I've confessed all my things to Jesus, he would say, what about your accountability group? Have you told anybody else? Like, in other words, if, if, if it's not a confession to the church, it's not a confession to God. That's, that's a standard. He just, that's a pretty crazy standard. Not the main point, but worth its admittance fee, right? You have not lied to humans by lying to Paul. You actually, or Peter, you lied to God, which is a strong statement. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died, and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some of the young men, you know the youth group, they didn't even go to the deacons, they got the youth group to carry out dead Ananias on their way to Kerouins, wrapped up their body and carried it out and buried it. Because he wants, because he wants the young generation at a young age to know the fear of the Lord. Here's a common misunderstanding is that love, the love of the Lord alone, will lead me to holiness. This is what it says. What is the word that is used in verse 5 that is leading? This is all about a temple. Remember, this is about the tale of two temples. This is the distinction of the, of, of, of the non example of a temple is unholiness, right? A divided heart. Verse 5 Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and with great love, with great fear. 1 John 4 says that perfect love casts out fear. So this doesn't mean be afraid of God, but it does mean respect him, it does mean take him at his word. We have to have a category. If you went back to your sixth grade self and only only followed the commands of God that made sense to you, where would you be at in life? At some point, you just have to take him at his word. The homosexuality thing, it might not make sense to me, but that's what you said. The premarital sex thing, it doesn't make sense to me, but I respect you. And I respect that you might think that I, I might not understand it and I bring my misunderstanding to you, but you're God and I'm not. And I'm not going to get to holiness only when I understand it. There will be some things that you want to do in following Jesus, and some things you don't. And both of those categories are required for holiness. Both of those categories. So here it is. It's like Adam and Eve, right? It's like the two priests that dropped dead in the very beginning. Like there's always this exceptional and not extreme, but certainly expedited death that hits the consequence of this believer. Not the condemnation, but the consequence of what happens over years probably. But verse seven, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the the land? Not about the money, is about the honesty. Yeah, that's exactly how much I sold it for. You got it all. That's the price. Verse nine, Peter says to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're gonna carry you out as well. Verse 10, at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, Youth group again, Uh, this time on the way to Trunk or Treat. Finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So what's this little picture? You know, like the the, the book of Acts is like a photo album that usually features the highlights. Like most of the time, I want to encourage you, like the book of Acts is a lot like Chronicles. Like it's the high points of the church leaving out the lowlights. But this is a pretty low light. And they put it right up in front. And what are they doing about this? If it's not about money, except a little bit, mainly if it's about honesty instead of generosity, what would this message be saying to us other than this? That the main barrier between the church and holiness is actually not sin, but it's lying. What does Jesus say? It's not sickness that's the problem. It's lying to yourself about the sickness that's the problem. Jesus can heal any sickness that you have except for the sickness that denies you're sick. So he wants you to know at the very beginning, there is no sin that's going to come between you and holiness, but dishonesty will, right? Not being honest about where you are. And so here's the really dangerous thing about church, because church is beautiful, but like a lot of other beautiful things, beauty is dangerous. You know what's dangerous about the church? Is the church has lingo. And you've got a buddy who has a few words like, God loves you just as you are. It's not okay to stay that way. There's a couple of lingo things, and if I'm not careful, I'm just going to go ahead and say a few things that Darrell is saying in his uh, spoke, uh, spoken poetry, right? and seem like Durell without being like Darrell. To look like Darrell. Can I show you something really interesting? What people usually don't see is that the passage before in Acts 4 actually shows us the reason for Ananias' dishonesty. Acts 4.36 says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles call Barnabas. I like to call him Barney. like, that's friendly. It means son of encouragement. You guys just love encouragers. Just like people that aren't just puffing you up, but really just stir you up and you leave with courage. Really leave with actual courage. Not flattery, but encouragement. Isn't that cool? Look what happens. Verse 37. He sold a field he owned, and he brought not some, but all of the money to the apostles' feet and put it at the apostles' feet. I wonder what Ananias was thinking about Barnabas when he saw that. Man, that must be so cool. That respect, that honor, that dignity, I want that. Maybe I can do the things what Barnabas did, holding back a little bit of myself to get what Barnabas got. In other words, I could do something that seems holy without really being holy. Is this, it seems, what the Bible wants to do to us, the very opening pages of what it calls the church, is show us that probably the greatest problem that we're going to have in church is not sin, but lying about sin. It is the desire to seem holy without actually being holy. They're coming to the prayer meeting and copying and mimicking, which there's nothing wrong with discipleship and doing that, but understand that underneath the bottom of every iceberg of any person that walks in anointing and healing and power and wisdom, it's not just from showing up at a club. You know that, right? changing your language. It's not because you know somebody you can connect with them and say, I'm an associate. That doesn't how it works, right? This is, this is, what, this is what money is doing in this passage because money on your banking app is telling you everything you know, need to know about honesty. Money is the first thing that's gonna tell you about the distance between your mouth and your heart. I thought about this on the way here, like what if Timothy was sick one day and I had to come up and lead worship, Right? But I could only lead worship songs that my bank account would sing. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of family, my king. What a beautiful name it is. And nothing can stand against the name of comfort and idolatry. The name of image. The name of security. The, na- the name of self actualizations insignificance. The name. The name. What would I have to sing if all that I had to sing was my bank account? Like, I make fun of myself. It's like, if you go on my bank account, and let's do the honesty. It's like a lot of Starbucks. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Like, I'm a work <laughs> in progress. This is more dangerous than you think, though. Like, it's not because I love Starbucks. I heard somebody say, if you live a life that doesn't have a Sabbath to it, it probably means you're doing something you're not called to do. And more than that, you're probably robbing somebody the opportunity to do what they're supposed to be doing by making up for the discomfort of that. So you know what you do when you're exhausted. You keep eating ice cream. The story is not about the ice cream. It's about the belief that you run the world. And that bank account, it talks. You know the old saying, money talks. You know what it often talks about? Value. You know what's funny? Money's a lot like driving. How many of you guys think you're a good driver? Raise your hand if you think you're a good driver. I I feel like more people, I thought more people was gonna say that in my mind's eye. Raise your hand if you think your spouse is a good driver. All right, how about this? Raise your hand if you think that people out there on the road are good drivers. It would go down, right? It's funny funny when you get married, you figure out. You figure out you're not as good at spending money as as you thought, right? Because it's like, you're gonna get on that guy because he's buying Xbox games and he shouldn't be buying Xbox games. I mean, seriously, right? But I bet you would spend it on some hair, though. Right? It's really interesting when you get married, it's like you're upset because your spouse would spend money on cars. But what was it to say that I would save all my money and just save it up for my kids' education to go to a school where they're going to have to get a degree that's not even going to get them towards a job because I want them to have a name on their resume? It's funny that you find out what it is you value about money once you get married, and so here's the deal. There's a kingdom. And the kingdom is not living in bombs and walls and crowns. The kingdom is living in your wallet. And Jesus is a better king than you. And here's the reality. He doesn't want 10% of your money. You know what he wants? He wants all your money. He wants all your money. And here's the thing. If, if, if Jesus became your CFO for 30 days, he'd probably spend your money different than you. That's true. But here, I, want you, I just want to burst the balloon. He probably wouldn't just give all of the way to the poor. Maybe he would if you the rich one. You. You, know you know what he else might tell you to do? Buy an alabaster jar and just waste it on his feet. Because this is not about giving money to the poor. The poor you'll always have. This is about my rule and reign in your wallet. How's that going? Is what he's doing, right? And so if you, if you can remember, the original, you know that original Ananias, you know his name was? was Achan. Achan, in the book of Joshua. The whole book starts off, Achan, Achan's got a sin. Achan's got some gold in his tent, right? And so he goes all the way down into the tribes and finds Achan, it's not good. Same thing as N not good. Youth group wasn't there yet, but it was just the same thing. <laughs> you know what happens at the very end of the book? He gives them so much more gold and plunder and stuff than Achan ever stole in the first place. You know why? Because money's not the root of evil. It's the love of money. And you could be poor and love money just as much as you could be rich and love money. And so it's not about just giving all your money to the poor. It's letting Jesus rule and reign over everything that you do. What would Jesus do with your wallet for the next 30 days? Here's the answer. Something better than you would do with it. <laughs> So here's just a a quick little thing I I heard in a message one time out of Proverbs. There's five words on the screen. God, you can use it with your thumb, make it with your thumb right here. God, people, mind, body, stuff. The guy was talking about in Proverbs, you know the dumbest thing you could do is just spend all your money on stuff. You could do it, but it's not smart. The second, if you're a little bit smarter than that guy, spend your money on your mind because the mind will get you the good job and then you can get more money to get more stuff so everybody's happy you're happy then go be you know like a pig and slot. but if you want something better than that then invest in people man just you can get anything back but you can't get back time go on the vacation take your family go with a friend go to the concert do the thing like that's the way that money will will grow in power but here's the thing here's the thing if you really 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 want to be wise with your money then give it to god first this is the idea of Jesus was the CFO of your wallet. How would Jesus spend my money? Because here's the thing. If you were to invest in a spiritual capital and God would do a work inside of you to be holy, you know who doesn't have a hard time making friends and building community? Holy people. Holiness gets a bad rap. Holiness is warm and inviting and whole. And people that are around great people, you know what they usually do? Learn from them. Because you become like the people that are around you. So your mind grows out of that, Right? And out of that, your body always follows your mind. Your mind never follows what your body's gonna do. And out of that, the stuff just comes. Isn't that what we opened up this morning in, the, in prayer meeting, seeking first the kingdom of God. This is, Jesus is better at you than your money. That's the point. Anyways, Acts 5. The point that Tom read, verse 12. The apostle performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. And no one else dared join them. Now see, Ananias is the anti-priest. This whole story is about the phony priests the false priests, and the holy priests. What did Exodus 19 say about the Ten Commandments? That we are to be a holy, a holy priesthood, a wholehearted priesthood. This is what this looks like. This is the promise fulfilled from Exodus 19. The apostles, this is what a holy priesthood does. They don't just wait for beggars to sit outside the the, the gates. They heal them with signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. There it is, Solomon, you know Solomon, the wisest man ever walked the earth. What are they saying about these leaders? Full of wisdom and power, and purity. Anybody here want a spiritual leader that's full of wisdom and power and purity? Don't <laughs> you just ache for somebody that could inspire you instead of just drag you along, right? This is what we want. We need, we need a priest. Our priests need priests. So This is what we want, power, passion, purity. Verse 13, no one else dare join them. It's like the sun. Holiness is like the sun in the sense of like you want to get close to it, get warm, but if you get too close, you just burn up. So here's the tension. Look at this. No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. But look at verse 14. Even though they didn't join them, somehow the Spirit changed them. When lepers get touched by holiness, they get healed. Rather than holiness becomes defiled. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. But verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women came close to the holiness and were made holy through the cleansing of Jesus' blood. They were believing, and they were added in number. There it is. And verse 15, and we can just pray for this. Like, I just want to pray, verse 15, even right now over this room. As a result, people brought their sick. Man, that people, that this would be, you know, church should be a place of healing, of brokenness, spiritual, physical, emotional, all types of sozo that would happen to a, a human soul when it would come into the contact with a mighty and holy God. As a result, the people who were sick, they were just laid before these apostles and the people and they were healed and Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all who came near them were healed. Ravi Zachariah, Carl Lentz, Mark Driscoll, Bill Hybels, Matt Chandler. What do you do when the holy priesthood doesn't have holy leaders? Right? This is what we long for. A couple of notes on what seems like Almost like a 50-50 draw. Like, is becoming a pastor just a coin flip? Some of them will finish and 50% won't. Like, what does this even have to do? There's just a couple comments. First and foremost, in my understanding, and my experience, and you could maybe test me on this, but for every one of these bigger pastors that are more prominent and probably getting more attacked than anyone else on the earth, there's thousands of little faithful micro-pastors somewhere else, women, men and women, giving their lives away on the mission field. Right? We don't get the whole story Two. You don't really fall if you don't stand for something. Like, the reason why it's easy to be a hypocrite when you're a big-name leader is because you actually aim for something. How many of you guys ever aimed for something and fell short of it? Last but not least, and I mean this, I feel like in the current climate and culture, there's a sigh of sorrow, but there's also a sigh of relief. Because if my Christian leaders are, 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 are falling left and right, then I don't have to follow them, do I? I don't have to be accountable to anybody. Feels almost like a euphoric feeling to know that they're messing up and I'm messing up too. And there's no standard because all of them fall anyways and the whole thing's corrupt, so I don't have to follow it, do I? Kind of feels good when Christian leaders fall because then you don't have to have Christian leadership. But make no doubt about it. We're followers and we're all, we're all leaders and we're all followers. And there's a leader somewhere out there who has your eyes and ears. If you went over to your explore page, it has an algorithm. it is telling you all about who has your ear the quote that you're looking at, and and the perfect house. Some of these people we're following, they're not even Christian. You know who can't carry the spirit of Jesus? People that don't follow Jesus. And here's the truth. Not only people that surround you, your top five people that you look up to, you are becoming who you're beholding. One of the most important choices that you're making is who you're following. You will follow imperfect and impure people for sure, but you need Christian leadership. You need Christ and examples of Christ in your life And the falling of one example does not give any excuse to follow some example that has nothing about Jesus. Well, they're more justice oriented and they're more beautiful and they have more poetry than all the people in the church. So I'm following them. You know, they don't have the spirit of Jesus. You know what's the most beautiful thing in the world? Jesus. And all those people, right? The seed is taken. Every one of them, he says, are hired hands and wolves. And if Jesus is our king, we follow shepherds. But if not, we're following wolves. And they will eat us up and tear us apart and make us feel good and ruin our lives. So the following of Christian leaders does not mean the the excursion from submitting to Christian leadership. Does Jesus Jesus reign in your eyes and your ears? Lastly, Acts chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Those are the two words. Like, the kingdoms don't have a problem with religions. They're not competing. They have a problem with kingdoms. They're jealous of Jesus. They're jealous of the spirit of Jesus inside of you, and they're afraid of him. What it says, verse eighteen: They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts. Go be the real temples in the middle of all the fake temples, and tell them about this new life. Verse twenty-one: So they have this choice to obey Jesus or to obey man. Verse twenty-one: What do they do? At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. I don't know if we have this slide up there since it went late. Here's how you fight temple warfare. Not trenches. Not duck and cover videos, right, from the 50s. Here's how you fight temple warfare. Teach the gospel. Put his name on your lips. Jesus was a goer. He came to people, so we go to people. Here's how you preach the gospel. Here's how you win temple warfare. Be in places you wouldn't be unless those people were there. Go after them. Make it obvious that it's not because of their loveliness that you love them. That's how you go and win the real war. How do you fight temple warfare? Number two, live different. Like, have anxiety and work through process. And don't be a perfect family, right? But at the same time, when it comes time to stand, be different. Be different with your phone. Be different the way you talk about your boss. Be different with the way you organize your feet, your life, your calendar, your apps. Like, this is where holiness is. This is what the, what does Hebrews say? The world will not know God without holiness. And that's not the holiness of your megachurch, pastor. That's the holiness of you and me. We are to be different. We are to sound different. And lastly, to say the name of Jesus. There is no other name that can save. It's just been that song, like, Jesus, be the center of my life. Be the center of my church. That's the only name. That's the only name that can bring salvation. It's the only name that can bring healing. And pray. Pray like he listens. You know what prayer is an invitation to? It's partnership. That means that he doesn't do it all, right? But I don't do it all. We do it together. We partner. I'm joining God wherever he is. I'm not bringing him. It's like I've discovered this place, like Christopher Columbus, as if I discovered this person in this cubicle and, you know, in this office. No, Jesus was already there softening the soil. It's not just that the spirit is here. It's his sovereignty is here. And he is ruling and reigning. He's ascended on high, which means it's all in his hands. It's all being turned for his good. And if there's glory in your good, and lastly, you need to call. Are you now ready to trust in Jesus? Give them an opportunity to reject us. Here's the thing. Witnessing is not about receiving or rejection. It's about witnessing. Even a rejected witness is still witnessing. And that's what we're called to do. You will not lead people to receive Christ if you are not preaching in a way that people will reject Christ. And I'm saying that to myself, man. Like, I want this and I need this. Like, I want to talk about Jesus. So this is the conclusion As we close for communion, but when the high priests and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to jail for the apostles. But on arriving, look at this Easter remix that happens, right? But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked. It was like a tomb. But the guards were standing at the door, and when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's the worst they could throw at you. Jesus offers life. All they can offer is prison Verse 24, on hearing this report, the captain of the guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what, the, what this might lead to. Someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles, and they did, they did not use force because they feared, there it is, that the people would stone them. So the apostles, in verse 27, brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest, we gave you strict orders not to do what? To do exactly what? do exactly what Jesus told you to do. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of darkness, they cannot coexist. If Jesus loves you, they will hate you. Just get over it. They're not all going to like you. If Jesus loves you, they will hate you. And it's not because you're wrong. It's because they hate Jesus. And kingdoms don't care about religions. They care about kings that come and confront them and take out injustice at their feet. Yet you have filled Jerusalem, and there it is, with your teaching. Who is ultimately the one that is causing this massive uproarous, too holy for anybody to touch gospel message to saturate Jerusalem in the course of a couple of years? It's been Jesus. This is not just a book about the Spirit. This is a book about sovereignty. God said it, and it happens. And if it happened, it's because God said it. It's not because they had a great evangelistic strategy or because they prayed enough. It's because God decided to do it. And if God decides to do it, how many know you can't change His mind? This is about him. So verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, well, we must obey God rather than human beings. And there it is, the gospel. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed hanging on the cross. God exalted him at the right hand where he still sits today, by the way, as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so it is with the Holy Spirit whom God has given to obey him. This is just a final uh, little story before we go, before we come for community, excuse me. You know, Hollywood is cute until it's not. Like Hollywood's like showing your creativity and teaching you how to tell stories and that's beautiful, right? Until they cancel you. Until you confront them. Until you tell them that their, their, their ideology is, is bankrupt. Wall Street is cute until it crashes. Until it tells you there's no more bread, so work harder, capitalists. You know, Washington is cute, and wants your vote until the day after the election. And somehow, they're nowhere to be seen. And all of it is they're cute until they're not, because they love you until they fear you, until they know the one that's inside of you, and they hate you because because he loves you. And here's the funniest thing. This is one of the most, like, to me, girding things in my 38 years of faith of why I still think that Jesus is alive today. I hear so many comments today about why this comment is anti-Semitic. This comment is anti-Muslim. I hear all across. Have you ever heard of a thing? That's homophobic. You're not allowed to say that. Cancel. You're not allowed to talk about that type of race or gender. You know, there's, y'all know this. You might think it. You can't say it, right? This is, even if it's wrong, you can't say it. You know what I never hear an article of? That's so anti-Christian. You never hear any articles about that. It's almost like, thou dost protest too much. You overplayed your hand a little bit. Why is this the only kingdom that doesn't have any defense? If Jesus, Because Jesus already fights for it. So here's Bill Mayer, okay? What flavor of the day, right? Mike Tyson is like the Gambler He's like, well, if it's God, then you know, we're like, maybe we don't mess with it because we don't want to stand against him. You know, this is what the high priest, the smart one, said, right? The smartest one, well, just maybe not touch it, right? Bill Maher's going off. Oh, you know, every pagan religion has a thing on in the summer, winter solstice because it's the shortest day of the year. And we all long for resurrection, so there's all these myths of these people that die and come back to life. You know, the Bible is so old-fashioned; it doesn't talk about slavery. It never condemned slavery, and so it was used by the Romans you know, to enforce its power and its will. And it actually almost got me for a second. You know, let me be honest with you. Like I was sat there and I was like, maybe this guy's got, you know, maybe I need to do some research. And then I sat back and I thought, you know what's funny? Is everybody wants to tear down a kingdom. And I turn around and ask Bill, do you know how to handle a marriage? Can you answer for the disruption that's going on in our society? Kings are nervous about Jesus because Jesus is a king and threatens kingdoms. You know what he did not provide for? An answer to the fact that I'm going to die one day. And he didn't speak to that. And he can't speak to that. And he can't speak to the fact that probably, I don't know about his marriage, is probably not in great shape because none of us are, right? And ultimately, what did it all come down to? This is what it says in Ananias. It's not really about this God or that God or that. You know what it's always about? It's money. He's getting views off of it. Kings are not nervous about religions. They're, they're nervous about kingdoms. And so verse 40, the speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and they flogged them because that's all they could do. And then verse 41, I love this. It's like the I can't remember the missionaries, you'll know probably who they are, who quote this all the time. The apostles led left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted they were counted worthy of the suffering, disgracing for his name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching or proclaiming the gospel, and may we not either, of the good news of Jesus. It's like when you get punched in the face. In the middle of a basketball game. Not that this has never happened to me. And you just start making every shot. Because what's happening when you get punched in the face? It's like, is that the worst you can do? Make fun of me on a YouTube video? I mean, in this day and age, that's the worst could you could do. There's something powerful. When you get knocked down, you realize that's the worst they could do. They could offer you prison, but he gives you life. He takes all of your rotted stuff and turns it into eternal treasure. He takes all of the wolves in your life and he protects you and brings you into the way that brings you life it takes all the time that you would have wasted he gives back the wasted years and eternal abundant life i don't know about you but i'm following that king that's my king that's the one who's come to lead so my question um, as we pray for communion is simply this there is a kingdom it's already living it lives in your wallet and if you couldn't talk about it and only communicate with your wallet who who is reigning over your kingdom there's a kingdom that lives in your eyes and your ears the things that perk up your attention and cause you to remember what that person says versus what that person says. That's where the kingdom lives. Who's speaking there? Because you're becoming who you're beholding. What about your feet? It's not what you're going to vote. You vote with your feet. Like that's an actual, I think, biblical saying. You vote with your feet. It's Because ultimately, it's not what you do in November. It's who you, the cups of cold water and the gospel that you're preaching are not preaching. It's, it's these opportunities that God is bringing the kingdom of heaven right where you are that we would be invited to join him because he is a good king and his kingdom is everlasting because he's sovereign. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.